right? Because you get laid off, the existential feeling of like, oh my God, someone was willing to hire me and now I don't have a job. Hits you pretty hard when you're as unemployable as I am. <laughs> and then looking at like people's pictures on Facebook when the pandemic took hold, it wasn't a happy time, but people's cats were happy, I thought. Yeah, they were so happy. Like, holy shit, you're home all the time. Right? And then if if you want to paint time periods or movements like history painters did, they had to settle on people that they were going to paint. And I just thought, if I paint my... Uh, friends' cats as historical figures, then I never have to bother with figuring out what people might have been in those scenes. Okay. But cats in them. And then I thought it had a little bit of a plot, so I made a book out of it to make a, a couple extra bucks. Is that so wrong? Is it making any money? Yeah, except Amazon hasn't figured out how to pay me yet. They're terrible. This not let's say, I never even ordered shit from them before I started having a book. They're really bad at paying people. But so are publishers. Yeah, yeah, they are. They yeah, are. So you told me it. that you just recently <laughs> made a profit off of BDSM 101, which you wrote, what, 10 years ago? I have no idea. And I remember writing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember that you consulted with me um, and, uh, and with Amanda Whip. And Stormy. And Stormy. About how to do uh, uh, self-tying up, mm-hmm. self-bondage is what it's called. I saw <sighs> Amanda a couple of months ago on the train. I recognized her by her ass. Wow. Yeah. that, that I was like, I know that ass. <laughs> she has a lot of amazing, unusual features, but yeah, her ass, chief among them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's... Amanda Whip's ass, but it's a professional ass. But was this during the pandemic? Yeah. Oh, were you guys both wearing masks? Yes. And you hugged each other, presumably? Yes. Oh, well, that's nice. I mean, I think we did. It might it might have been just, it, it was, it was, it was, it was awkward because we're both, you know, socially, we have problems. Everything's been awkward. You know, more awkward than normal. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows how to talk to each other anymore. Yeah. Like, what am I going to tell you about doing nothing? It's like, do I hug? Do I not hug? Do I spit in your mouth? Do I not spit in your mouth? Yeah. Like, we don't know anymore. We don't do know. I spit in your ass. Do I, I don't spit know. in your butt? <laughs> I, I like, I don't know. I just, I want things to be not what they are right now. I know. I know. I know. Me too. Ah, ah. <laughs> ah, I don't know. But I am planning on a summer of fucking. Really? Yeah. I said that last year, though. It didn't happen. Well, tell me your plans. I don't know. Just like just like being open to situations that are that are that are that are pleasurable, that are nice, that are fun. Isn't that called summer? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it is. Uh, but getting back to Cats of Coney Island, okay. um, I do want to say this is an all ages kind of thing. You know, you can, you, you know, seven to to 95. It's banned in Florida. 
<laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, well, we it's, it's too gay. They banned it. And um, it's just a, it's a, it's a lovely. It's a gay children's. <laughs> it's not a gay children's book. <laughs> it's it's just a, a beautifully uh, paint. The, the the drawings are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> the story is fun. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's really, I think for anybody and everybody, the process of it being made, how does, how, how does that work? Well, since I didn't really think it was going to be a book until about 10 months into the pandemic, when I couldn't stop painting people's cats, doing things I wish I was doing, was that I would write a little story about them that they time traveled because... What's better than time traveling cats? Nothing. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing yeah, is like, better than time traveling. They're taking cats. the risk to go to other, but I haven't had them go into the future yet, which is going to happen next year. Now it's published by Amazon. No, I published it via Amazon. Like when you're like, you don't have a hope and a prayer, and you're like. I can do this myself via Amazon. I'm still That's trying to figure out how that works. You just like log in and go, I'm going to publish a book, you evil Jeff Bezos in your penis Star Trek machine. I'm going to, I don't like them. I'm not proud of the fact that I published a book through them. Hey, look, you got to do what you got to do. Right. You know? it, it was like sucking dick on the West Side Highway. Not that I ever did that, but I came well, close. I, I, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's a literary form of sucking dick on the West Side Highway. Look, you know, I, <laughs> I stopped doing commercial acting after I got a job. Uh, I got a commercial for Budweiser. And even though I did drink Budweiser at the time, I really felt awful about about promoting alcohol use. I felt terrible about it, and I didn't do commercials again. And then, like, when Iron Man came out and, and Downey Jr., his character, has eaten a Burger King burger, I was like, I was like, uh, you know, I wish he hadn't done that. You know, this is going to be a, a, a role model and, and fast food is bad for you. But now, now that I see, like, what, that, that four of the top ten grossing films ever are starring Downey Jr., in the Marvel Enterprise, I will. I'll. I'll. I'll promote heroin. I gotta. I gotta <laughs> tell I'm you. Now. I'm ready to sell out. I I love Marvel so much because they seem to only have one goal, and that is to entertain the living shit out of yes. you. Yes. Yep. And that's a noble ambition, right? They do it in, well in a cynical world where we think that. Men cannot move mountains. Marvel proves us wrong, and they give us these scripts that are totally insane and mm -hmm. childish. But you go along with it. Feels good to go along with it. I'm a big fan. Uh, would you Would you sell out these days? I've been trying to sell out. <laughs> like for like, I came to New York in 1990 with like sell out tattooed on my forehead come on someone give me a deal i have so many ideas but they're too weird and now eh, i'm just happy to live in a in a 
place with four walls. I don't care if I sell out, but if someone wants to buy stuff from me, I can't give much that I think would be palatable. To would people. you? Would you do a project <laughs> that 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 promoted alcohol use? Sure. Yeah, me too. Now I would. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> now I would. Could I live in a house then? Yeah. Could I actually have a house? I, I always, I'm sorry, people, there's free will, right? People can judge for themselves. I'm I'm never going to spread bad info. Well, I guess promoting alcohol. Just, definitely. But they're, they're never going to hire me anyway. Like, no one's going to hire me anyway. Would I, like. Maybe I could be like a scratch-off lotto salesperson. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that um, me doing something would equate to others doing it. I think most people look at me and go, that's that's exactly the opposite of what I want to do with my life. <laughs> I think I'm happy about that. I'm like, they I guess like Kurt Cobain without any success or musical talent, just being an artist. People are like, yeah, there's a Gen X travesty. I never want to happen to my own life. Let's <laughs> talk about someone who did not compromise his uh, his ethics, morals, his artistic vision. Someone who could have gone to Hollywood and competed with Johnny Depp and beaten him in parts because he was that good, hotter, (laughs) but instead decided to come to New York City and make underground films and was the founder of the cinema of Transgression, who we lost recently. I was going to bring that up a little later in the show, but this just is a better segue. Nick said. It's it's weighing heavy on both of us, so I don't. I don't think he could have he couldn't have figured out how to sell out, you know? I think he always wanted to live more comfortably than he did, which was as an impoverished artist forever. His whole life. If someone had told him how to sell out, he probably would have, just to live a little better or get the medication he needed. Well, I think that that he would have benefited from better business sense like for example i would love i would i would buy his work yeah. i can't find it yeah there's no one selling it he he didn't he didn't set up anything where he could where he could sell his work yeah. and uh but in terms of would he would he compromise the type of art that he made for for money i never. don't see it happen ever never ever ever so one of the many reasons I loved him, and I know there's been trash talking about him, like since he died, and uh, I have fortunately not seen that. Okay, well, don't look for it. I won't. I, I don't speak ill of the dead. <clears throat> so he wasn't the best boyfriend, you know. Like, and I knew that going in. It, Nick said not boyfriend material, but. He's a really good person, so, and uh, he never had the means to be as good of a person as I think he hoped he would have been, and I think when people talk about him, maybe they 
don't realize that like poverty drove a lot of his decisions. He was poor. That's why he died. He didn't have access to the medications that could have saved his life. And people might not want to admit that, but that's real. (laughs) Sucks, but that's real. (laughs) I could go on about all the other stuff we did, but... Healthcare should be a right. Yes. He was also living in Mexico, and maybe if he was here, I don't know, could have, should have, would have, fuck if I know, but he got sicker from something he didn't need to get sicker from. Yes. But I miss him, and all I can think about while all this is happening is I just miss him. Yeah, one of the things I, 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 uh, Outlined two screenplays during the the pandemic, um, and he was the first person I thought of to direct. The first person I thought of, because I like working with him. I love working with him because he 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 would let you do whatever you wanted to do. You want to <laughs> stick to the script, stick to the script. You want to improv, improv. And he would, you know, he his job, the way he saw it was, you know, uh, was to do the blocking, to make sure it looked right, and to do the editing. He never, he never said, uh, you, you know, where's your motivation for this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like third take was the crazy take. Third take is always the crazy take, where you get to say whatever you want, even if it's not in the script. Third take. Yeah, but it was we. But another thing I liked is a lot of the time, everything was done in the first take. Yeah, usually the best shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we almost never had to even do second takes. <laughs> uh, we were green with Lord of the Cockrings, right? But then by Electra Elf, it was like you had Wesley. For those of you who don't know, Faceboy played a character called Wesley that was like the lowest lane of. Electra and Fluffer. Except a total, total nerd. Well, Lois Lane's kind of a nerd. She's supposed to be like the best journalist ever, except she can't figure out that Superman is the same person as Clark Kent. <laughs> so the idea of you having be Wesley is a bumbling idiot. Yes. Very smart individual, but he doesn't realize Electra Elf works in the cubicle next to him. <laughs> and he's obsessed with her. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty fun stuff. Uh, Very childish, but in its way, good. Lord of the Cock Rings came out in two. We I know that we did it. We, <laughs> that it was somewhere around the 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 the, the September eleventh terrorist attacks. Yeah, it was not long. It was right around that time that that we were filming it. Yeah, so. we we are premiered that bad boy October of twenty of two thousand. Yeah, really. Yeah. Okay, I know I know it was that because that was when I was between two two uh gorgeous girlfriends and um 
just the the uh, the September 11th attacks just got me rethinking my life. You know, got me thinking. You know, wow, anything really can happen at any time. Am I really with the person I want to be with? Wow. Yeah. I don't remember you really having that conversation with me. I didn't have that conversation. I just found out, just found, just tried to find the best way to break up with the person I was with, the least painful way uh, for both of us, and to and to get with the person that that I that I that I fell in love with during that horrific time when we were just all. All, there was just, there was a good economy and we were all okay. <laughs> that horrific time. I mean, horrific for everyone. It was a pretty good time in New York, as opposed to now, in the dead of winter. So snowflakes flying all over. <laughs> so Lord of the Cockrings. Oh, which by the way, Downey Jr. does mention in I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, you you know about that. He picks up a, a video cassette thing. Goes Lord of the Cockrings. Put it puts it down i think that was the next year i think that was 2002 that that he did that um but um you know i just thought nick zed was so fucking cool like me, yeah, too, too cool for school <laughs> like why is he working with us dorks on 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 this on on this thing what but you know i it's because he loved you and i think he loved the script I'm pretty sure those were the the reasons why he he directed it. And again, um, anyone who's seen this movie, here's something you might not know. There was a stunt penis. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a scene where I'm supposed to put on the magical cock ring on my on my penis. Penis. And um, and I just couldn't do it. I just I, I'm like I'm like you know I I've never had. I've never been nude. I believe the exact uh, words used for uh, were like, "No, I'm not gonna put my penis on the camera." And I was like, "Okay, we got Nick. Nick doesn't care." Yeah, so Nick uh, put on the costume that I wore, and uh, and and it was just a, a I fluffed a cut. his penis. Yeah, it was pretty it was, nice. It was a, a, a <laughs> like a quick cut. And you know Nick has a nice penis, so I'm like, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm like that can people can think that's yeah. Mine. You guys had a, I've seen both your penises. Not sound like a whore, <laughs> but you know they matched up pretty good. They match up you pretty both good. have good dicks. Yeah, <laughs> and also like I gotta say, I saw the like sort of hatchet job about Nick today in Village Sun. It's like. Jonah Noom had a terrible relationship. Uh, last time Nick and I fought about it, he was like, we were fighting about royalties. And he's like, I shouldn't even be paying you royalties. Some of the shit you wrote about me in your book. And I'm like, well, I did say you have a big dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he just started laughing. Like, he's like... I you got like I said you have a huge dick and you were good in bed. I said you were a shitty boyfriend. What else do you want? I'm honest, right? Great in bed. But actually looking back after some boyfriends that followed, great boyfriend. <laughs> oh no. He was awesome. He's a great boyfriend. 
great dick, awesome, but more than that, he's a nice person. To me, anyway, not to most people. <laughs> he's a total dick to most people. And uh, that just made me love him more. You know, it wasn't fake. It'd be like. Lord of the Cock Rings started out <laughs> as a stage play at Surf Reality. I can't believe we have not talked about Surf Reality or Collective Unconscious yet. We'll, I think we'll get to it. And, um, and, uh, Boy, I really liked the film. I thought there, there we had sets. We had sets with, yeah. that were that were painted and 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 they were you know we I it was I know that sounds like yeah it's a film you should have a set but <laughs> like the stuff I will do the kind of guerrilla filmmaking that the stuff the stuff I will do without is just anything I will I'm fine your backyard sure. You would have pretended like it was Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Everyone owned it. I I don't imagine that ever happening again. Like people totally owning that it's Middle Earth. Yeah, and we had we had some great people that were in that. Uh, World famous Bob, yeah, Bex well. Schwartz, um, John Ennis was in it. Uh, Gandalf. Yeah. Or no, uh, what was his name? Big Mike okay. was in it as the tree. Hank. <laughs> Hank so, Flynn was in yeah. it? Yeah. He's Dirty Rock and Steve. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, that was a good one. That was a good one. And then the last thing we worked with uh, Nick Zedon was Werewolf Bitches from Outer Space, which you actually can find the whole thing on YouTube. Yeah. Do you know people love or hate us? Good. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a Electra Elf, the complete set available on Amazon, and it was five stars or one star. There was nothing in between. Isn't that great? That's the best thing you can hope for as an artist. People should love you or hate you. Yeah. If, if I saw, like, so it averages out to three, <laughs> but so, like, if I saw just the three stars, I'd be like, that sucks. You know? But you know but what? But when I saw what the breakdown was, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, who hated on Electra Elf? Like, we were trying so hard. Why would anyone hate us? <laughs> Why would we do such a good job? Uh, someone s- said, like, a bunch of NYC liberal crap. Oh, they thought we were liberals. Well, <laughs> we are. We are. <laughs> hey, they liberal crap. No, I mean, you can't hate Electra Elf. My dad said, may rest in peace, that it was his favorite television show ever. Oh, I love doing it. And I love watching it. It's it's really fun. It explained everything to my parents. <laughs> you know, it's like, here's a show. Just watch it. This is what I'm doing with my life. Okay? If I never do anything else, I did this show. And in that, that sums it up, right? Like, I remember... Uh, Nick and I talking about doing a cable access show, and I'm like, I'll do it. So I walk into the meeting, and they say, well, what are you going to make your show about? And I go, it's going to be a superhero TV show directed by Nick Set, starring me and my chihuahua superhero characters. (laughs) And someone said, that seems pretty ambitious. I think Nick was ambitious. Oh, it was. It was, you know. Um, and, and, And not easy. To do, <laughs> you know, 
there, there were there were some 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 uh, pretty ornate costumes. Yeah, you know, Wesley got up pretty easy. No, he just I. Wesley was a very easy character to play. He was easy to play. <sighs> nah, but I don't know. I just every time I I think about the fact that Nick's gone. I just want to scream like, we still had to make our movie, right? Mm-hmm. We still had to uh, make the Electro movie. And we didn't. And I miss him because telling him ideas when he moved to Mexico, we never stopped talking about how cool it would be to make this movie or how cool it would be to make that he never outgrew uh, the desire to make art. It's probably the best thing you can say about someone. Yeah, and I like finding a director that I am comfortable with and that I respect tremendously and then having to get to do so many projects with that one director. And the next person I hope to work with in that kind of capacity is Dylan Greenberg. Yeah, it was cool seeing uh, Dylan and Nick work together on was, more bitches. Like, yeah, good, you know, pass down the idea of uh, weird word to use because they're both maximalists, but austerity in art that you can make art with nothing. Yeah, it was it was beautiful seeing them work together and Nick. Uh, you know, Dylan will absorb uh, yeah. from, from 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 people. She's she's just very open uh, and and wants to learn. And I never really thought of Nick in the role of a mentor, but there there he was. Yeah. So last time I saw Nick, he looked better than you know better than me. He's full of life and happy and. It was because he was a dad. Mm-hmm. I asked him what was going on. Why do you look so happy and together? And he said uh, that being a father was the most important thing in his life now. And that is a real thing. I got to read this stuff. And then uh, after that, I'm going to ask you about the first thing you worked with him on, which I believe Do was I get Elf to Panties, take a leak? the movie. Yeah, go ahead. Ever? Okay, cool. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I hate to be so crass. I got to take, I used to be a great beauty face boy. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to Art Star Scene Radio on Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax-deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and would like to donate in a way that costs nothing to you, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash Amazon. 
and register RFB as your Amazon Smile charity. Every time you shop, a purchase of your portion of your purchase benefits Radio Free Brooklyn. I do that. I do the Amazon Smile. It's really easy and for for real. It's it's if you don't use Radio Free Brooklyn as your Amazon charity, choose something else because if you're shopping on there, why not? It's it's you don't pay anything more and a charity gets something. So just do it. Okay? All right. If you'd like to listen to RFB when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. And lastly, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Um, so I first met Reverend Jen at an open mic that I wound up doing for 13 years. I did 678 weeks. The first 575 I did consecutively. Not kidding. I did not miss a Sunday for, I think that's 11 years. Um, and she came around. I started at Collective Unconscious when it was on Avenue B, I think 28 Avenue B. And uh, they that place uh, was lost to a fire. Um, and then I moved to 172 Allen Street, a place called Surf Reality, and had the open mic there for about eight years uh, until they, they had to close because their rent was quadrupled or something like that. But I believe Reverend Jen was from i believe she started coming when i was at the uh original collective on, unconscious on 28 avenue b and this was this was gonna this was in 1994 that neighborhood was was uh a little bit of the wild wild west kind of thing there was uh lots of lots of drug use lots of heroin out there lots of cocaine there was there was definitely uh it was there was let's just say the east village in the 80s and 90s was a little bit of a tough place to be anyway i was talking about when when i first when i first met you reverend jen is back i had to pee really bad she had to pee really bad it looks like the shining in these hallways okay So the first thing you, uh, other chair, yeah, you're over there. So was the first thing you did with Nick Elf Panties, the movie? No, the first thing I did was The Space Zarathustra, which is like his Nietzschean uh, film. Well, Nietzschean, it was based on Nietzsche. I don't think I've seen it. Tell, Tell me more about that. Well, I don't remember anything about it, really. Okay. All right. <laughs> it was with John Vomit. Okay. Uh, and Nick said, and I didn't have any lines. Okay. But then after that, I was selling my panties on elfpanties.com, which was my website, that happened because one day, I think 
Rob Pritchard is like, Jen, you know, there are people selling their panties online and making money and I didn't have a job. I'm like, that sounds like a great idea. So I created a website with Tom Tenney that was like elfpanties.com where I sold my gently worn panties. So I asked Nick to make a video commercial. But it ended up being a film. It was like uh we kept thinking of ways to make it more and more extraordinary, like me reading Lord of the Rings and then the panties getting soaked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every perverted, weird thing we could think of to sell the panties. Everything Nick and I did was almost always a commercial, you know, like, how could we sell this? We're just grifters together in a way, like... If we make this movie, maybe people will go see this and they'll buy this. <laughs> we never figured out how to make any money <laughs> ever. I know. Me either. Yeah. like <laughs> So we all fit perfectly together. I mean, I think it was Milton Cass that said the art stars were the most talented people that would never amount to anything except he's right. Except I think that culturally the significance of what what we perhaps contributed with things like Lord of the Cockrings could not be forgotten. Well, uh, it's, it, we did have an, an impact. Yeah. And, and I do have people coming up to me still today, um, not long ago at Arturo's pre-pandemic, guy came up to me and he said, you know, what what you did for New York art scene was really incredible and awesome and you, you gave a voice to to so many people and 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 he went on. I, I don't like to talk too much about this stuff, but uh but I think that that uh that that we had an impact. And I love that neither of us have stopped. You know, you just came out with a book. Uh I am continuing with the radio show and there's some and there are other things that I'm that I'm working on for the future um I think because now the 90s are cool right so I think that uh there there should be a biopic with people playing us except like they make it way more cool than our actual life story <laughs> but I'm thinking for you Jared Leto, I don't know. Who do you want to play you? Uh, I don't know. One of the Olsen twins? There you go. There you go. Leto's a fine actor. Leto's a fine actor. Oh, he reminds me of you when you, when you were a young whippersnapper. Uh, so who do we want to play us in the movie about us? Because you know there will be one. But it'll unfortunately be probably be like a musical james franco oh hell yeah perfect absolutely okay who do you want to play me audience john cameron mitchell yes <laughs> right i can't just i think i don't know <sighs> dancing and weed are legal yeah right <laughs> i love both still I I was part of the uh, the the uh, you know National Marijuana Day protests uh, since I was a, a teenager, uh, and you know finally finally it's legal. 
And uh, me, you, and Robert Pritchard started the Dance Liberation Front in the Ju- when the Giuliani administration decided to dust off the cabaret laws and start enforcing them again. We fought long and we fought hard. We finally won, and someone else got the credit. <laughs> I just, I like weed now. <laughs> All right. I never liked weed before. Now I love it. But also, yeah, who got credit for dancing being legal? Not us. Yeah, but we know we did it. Yeah, we know That's we did okay. it. okay. Yeah, and, and it, it was a protest movement that had a sense of humor. We surrounded City Hall and did the hokey pokey. Yeah. I, uh, I, we did a conga line up up Avenue A. We did a Times Square twist-a-thon. Uh, it, it Million was, Mambo March. Yeah, it was it was all fun. It was all fun, but we also made speeches that were that were at times funny, but also very serious about how this is how this is ridiculous. How this is a law that is based in racist ideology enacted in 1926 in order to prevent white women from going up to Harlem and dancing with black men. They didn't like interracial dancing, so they made up these cabaret laws, and you had to have these licenses, and they simply didn't give the licenses to the black-owned businesses. So, you know, of course, Giuliani, being a racist, would uh, bring up back racist laws. Yeah, and also, though, it uh, economically, like Pritchard pointed out, Yankees scored a home run, everyone did the Macarena, no one cared that they didn't have a cabaret license because they got a ton of money, right? So it, it was an economic divide. Now, if you can't get people behind dancing, what can you get them behind? <laughs> so... Pretty easy move there, no, but if we put the wheels in motion for there to be no more cabaret law, I'm happy about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, my main job, I mean, we all gave speeches, but my thing was when we first showed up for the for the conga line up dealing with the a, cops, <laughs> yeah, somebody had tipped off the police. And there were there were at least a hundred cops there waiting. Yeah, for us. I used to jog a lot. I still jog, but now I jog around Coney Island, and I jog by there pretty early in the day, and I'm like, holy shit, all these cops are assembling on Houston and First or Avenue A. This was a, at about 2 o'clock, and we weren't supposed to start assembling till 6, so I ran over to Surf Reality. <laughs> I robbed there cops everywhere. But you were good at talking. Yeah, yeah. And then they, 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 then you and Rob said, Facebook, you, you, you're good at talking to cops. <laughs> and it's true. I'm good at talking to cops. <laughs> I know a little bit about their language, you know? Um, and so, so I went and I, I, I found whoever was in charge and I said, um, we, we, they asked if we had permits. And I said, no, we don't have any permits. Uh, and they said, well, you can do it without a permit as long as you don't take up more than 50% of the sidewalk. And I said, we're doing a conga line. Right. And everyone <laughs> so joined of, in. Yeah. Instead of stopping us from doing our protest, they led the protest. They stopped traffic so that we could get through. It was fucking awesome. And ever since then, I'd, I would meet with the police beforehand uh, and we would, you know, agree on what route we our our march would take, and uh, and I would get sound permits from the if it was going to be in the in the in the 
in a park, I'd get sound yeah, permits. Yeah, because the, the parks, parks permit department. people were dicks, and the parks cops department. with the sound permits were easy. So once we got a sound permit, then they had to kind of go ahead and give us the parks permit. But uh, I, I, it was a lot of work for what we did, and we. You're right. We didn't get credit, but we did in fact do it. Yep. They, it kills me in a way that uh, well, it was something worth fighting for. But it was a small thing. But I guess now we look at things and you know, if anything could be learned from our ridiculous dance movements, it's never take stuff like dancing for for granted. And I never live in a there. Never live in a place where you can't dance. <laughs> we absolutely. Uh, how, how did how did Robert say we stood up for your right to get down? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it seems silly, but now in the bigger picture, it was a big thing. I never thought it was silly. I, I thought it was. I thought it was smart to. You to didn't do think it. it was silly when we were doing the hokey pokey. <laughs> No, I thought it was. I thought it was the right approach. I thought. Me too. Yeah, I, I thought that you know, if you come at this way too seriously, uh, we're not going to get as much support. Um, right. But if we come in there and we can make people laugh while they're, and that's how you change it. <coughs> mm-hmm. I just uh, they were really the dance movements, wonderfully ridiculous, and. Some of this comes back to the stuff we did with Electra, which now I watch on video, and I'm like, I can't believe we got away with that stuff. <laughs> like that, are, that it was put on television. Like, oh my god! But also the stuff we got away with on the street, like getting a bunch of extras we didn't know, pretending like there's a bomb in the Coney Island Aquarium that's <laughs> gonna blow up the manatees, <laughs> and getting everyone to act insane. Oh, there's a bomb in the Coney Island Aquarium. No one stopped us from shooting stuff like that, you know. Well, and and you <laughs> did, and and we continue. I mean, Royal of Bitches from Outer Space was not that long ago that 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 was done. And you have you have the the uh, what day was it called? The the happy day, oh, harmony the, day, harmony day, and it turns into chaos. There's a, there's a woman running. As fast as she can, carrying a, a toaster oven, delivering the line. I need, I need my fucking, uh, uh, I, I need my, I need my fucking bagel bites. I need my goddamn bagel bites toasted. <laughs> so random. Where, where will bitches from outer space took so long to make, and everyone gave up hoping it. Like it, oh, it's like. I was like being evicted. <laughs> like I'm like I'm still gonna get this movie done, you bitches. <laughs> and Nick Zed had faith in it. That's why he was like, I will certainly direct a scene from it. And I think it ends up being perhaps the last testament to people ever living on the Lower East Side that were interesting. <laughs> it is a real. That's a. It does have a feel. It does have a gritty feel to it. It that does. Horrifying sometimes. <laughs> Simple plot. Some werewolves. I forget the plot, but werewolves who are from outer space come in and they take over. They kill douchebags. Yeah. 
and then they leave. <laughs> Easy plot. <laughs> I don't. Uh, uh. There's a platypus over there. I have no idea what else to say on this. Well, uh, upcoming or or current things that you're working on. Well, I'm supposed to be in an art show. Uh, I think it opens on Thursday night. This Thursday night at 176 Delancey. And I believe Anna Delphi, you know, inventing Anna, her drawings are going to be in it. Like, you know, inventing Anna, her prison drawings are going to be in it, I think. Okay. I can't, you know, but check out 176 Delancey. This weekend, my art's going to be up there. For right now, I just, I paint all the time. Today's the two-year anniversary of me losing my job uh, selling shoes at a department store. <laughs> and uh, from that day on, I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm, I'm not going to waste my talent. <laughs> Whatever it is, painting. Is I, I just paint every day, like about eight or nine hours a day, every day for the past two years. It's extremely antisocial. And, hey, uh, look, the most excitement for me these days is when somebody wins a double showcase on Price is Right. Oh my God, right? <laughs> double showcase winner. Oh, well, awesome. you have the evil streak in you that you root against the people who don't choose the first showcase right away because... Like, the people who on Price is Right are presented with the first showcase, and they're like, nah. And then they they get the second one, and it's shit, right? You know those people. I've been seeing them since the 70s. They're like, they'll chuff with themselves because maybe they got the roll they hit 100, so they got $1,000. And then they get the first showcase, and it's like, you could go to Hawaii and you could have a jet ski, like shit no one ever wants, right? But you could probably pawn it off. On the black I would mark. love to go to Hawaii and I would love to have a fucking jet ski. Right. However, those are not going to make you... A st- Most people on Prices Right are probably just looking for shit that could make them a stable home life. Mm-hmm. No one's like going on... You're not on Prices Right because you want to... Jet set in Hawaii. You're going there because you maybe want a washing machine and a thousand dollars, right? So I just feel like it's exhausting to watch Prices Right because the prices aren't things that we wouldn't have thought of. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, yeah, I know, pass. And you're like, you passed on all that awesome shit—a trip to Ireland and a jet ski. A motorcycle, you don't want that. Pass. And then like and then like the second one is like a bookshelf in a car. <laughs> and I was like, You're so boring because you just And usually I don't know who I don't know the odds, but I'm guessing the second showcase person wins more than the other one. I'm not sure. Well you have to look that up. It's important to know. I almost was, you know, because <laughs> it seemed like there was some excitement about us doing something together on the air tonight. 
and uh, I did want to talk about some of the things that folks remember. Some, yeah. Some I really didn't get into surf reality or collective unconscious that much at all, um, but they were both wonderful theaters run by great people uh, that that had so many wonderful, talented artists, many of whom actually did go on to succeed, uh, and. <laughs> Uh, uh, and, and many of whom, you know, just when a lot of people that went there are, are surprisingly doing well. <laughs> and, and that makes me very happy. Um, but I was, I did consider making the whole hour just talking about, uh, iconic 70s television shows. Oh, well, we have to do another one, then, <laughs> obviously. I mean, did Joni really love Chachi? I mean, will the real Jan Brady please stand up? Oh, fucking fake Jan. (laughs) Dude, fake Jan. I'm obsessed with the Jan Brady wig episode, and my next painting revolves around that. Oh, yeah, the dark wig. No. Black-haired wig, right? Medusa. She was like, fuck y'all, bitches. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... And everyone acts like she's mentally ill because she does. She wants to look different. She's like a goth chick, and everyone's like, "What is wrong with you? Take that silly wig off your head!" And she's just a goth. She doesn't want to be a blonde girl. I, I love television more than anything, <laughs> <laughs> and especially so. What's your favorite television show from the seventies? Nash. I know. That is so sad. What do you love about MASH? I like, I think it's just tremendously well written. Uh, I think that they presented a lot of important issues and presented them well. Uh, And I thought the acting was fantastic. You know, acting, writing, all of it. They just, it was a home run. Home run. What's your favorite? Mesh scored a home run. What What's your favorite from the seventies? Three's Company. Three's Company. Why? It's the best show ever. <laughs> Yawn all you want, face boy. I'll make a better argument for Three's Company than you ever could for Mesh. Well, first of all, it wasn't set in a fucking war, right? And it's just about some fun-loving co-eds having a happy time. Where else could a mobile army surgical hospital be set? <laughs> I'm starting to like Three's Company all that much. I love yeah. Three's Company. Give me some fucking Jack Sorry, Furley. Sorry, my father was in Korea, okay? Give me some so don't bring up Furley. MASH. You he didn't, what, you he didn't my, like to reminisce about MASH. You, you asked what my favorite 70s show. That was the first thing that came to mind. And, and, okay, what's and, your and second favorite? It. And I stand by it. <laughs> second favorite, Happy Days. What did you like about Happy Days? What did I like about it? I don't know. It was just, it was, it was just, it was fun. You know, it was just, it was escapism. <laughs> it was just pure escapism and fun. I don't know. I mean, every single episode of Happy Days seemed to be driven toward like Richie's need for something, like his car or his girlfriend or his need to be like the Fonz. Too needy. And Happy Days gave us Mork. Yeah, Mork and Mindy and 
Well, it's multiverse that we don't talk about, which is why now we're willing to delve ourselves into the Marvel multiverse is that we had a multiverse, right? It was the Ropers and Joni Loves Chachi and they were really bad TV shows. When I like- yes. <laughs> they weren't very good, but I live for them every yeah. night. That yeah. was actually so... One thing about Electro is Nick and I just really wanted to have a cable access show that went on at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So, like, when you're getting home from school, it's what you see on your TV. And we thought that way it would be inescapable. <laughs> like, our TV show. And then one time we were running out of fresh material, you know, to put 22 minutes together every week for four years is difficult so um we had thrown in some of the stuff from lord of the cockerings and we got this angry letter in the mail that was like about showing a nipple or something <laughs> and they moved our time slot to eleven thirty p.m then and that then it did it better it did better if that's yeah. uh, that's a better spot for it i know but i like the idea that like kids get home from school in their orange slices, and they're watching Electro and Fluffer. Somebody once told me that Lord of the Cock Rings, they said that was the first porn they had ever seen. And I never considered it porn. Right. Like, it had full male frontal nudity, but... And it had, and it had that scene with all the elves dancing topless, female elves dancing topless. But it wasn't but pornographic, it. right? It was, like, naked stuff. But it's not, nothing's going in, nothing, nothing. It doesn't meet the parameters of porn, you mm-hmm. know? It uh, it was a totally random full male frontal nudity, which I thought it was... It wasn't random. It had to put on the magic <laughs> ring. It was important. Well, exactly. <laughs> important to the script. But, you know, it wasn't just like a, a hard dick for a hard dick's sake. It was more like... This is entertainment. Here's a hard dick with a script. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, it's not pornography. But I, I mean, if it gets me banned in Florida, really, <laughs> I want to write, I want to make a movie called The Gay Movie and just present it in Florida where everyone is actually gay. I just, I, I, I don't like thought police on any side of the aisle. And I like that, uh, our movie was probably considered porn because of one hard dick. <laughs> and some titties. Oh, yeah. No one cares about boobs now. Their boobs on like fucking. Oh, yeah. And then also when I wake up in Middle Earth, my pants are down and there's a bottle in my butt that falls <laughs> out when I stand up. Are you trying to call me out on like Harvey Weinstein <laughs> producer? <laughs> we did have a beer bottle slightly mentioned. <laughs> did have what? Yeah, no, I hope we everyone was nice and okay on the set of Florida the Cockerings. As far as I can remember, okay, yeah. Okay, good. There's yeah. a lot of nudity, and I hope no one ever felt affronted by anything we did. I don't think so. Given we never made a dime off of anything, I hope <laughs> Hey, we gotta we got to wrap this up. This was really fun, and this was really good, and um, uh, I, I, I hope we can do it again. Me too. I so, hope we have several more hours. Thank and you. 
Thanks, Faze. And thank you all for listening. Thanks so much. Uh, and we will be, I'll be back next week live. Show yourself some love. Show some love to others. It's important. And you know that it is. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye-bye.